You're listening to The Real Wealth Show with Kathy Fetke, the real estate investor's resource. If you have an S-Corp or you're a member in a multi-member LLC, or you have a rental portfolio or Schedule C business, we finally have some specifics on your 20% deduction. I'm Kathy Fetke and welcome to The Real Wealth Show. Today's guest has been working with lots of our members at Real Wealth Network, helping them understand the new tax law. And he's with us today to give a little more clarity. So Ryan Shellhouse from Indigo Spire Advisors, welcome back. Thank you, Kathy. Thanks for having me. What a fantastic time to be alive, all this new tax stuff. (laughs) Very, very exciting. (laughs) At least for me. I'm sure. Well, um, so it sounds like we didn't have all the complete rules or information last year, but we might now on this 20% deduction. Yeah, go figure. Sometimes uh, Congress passes laws and doesn't tend to very many of the details, um, <laughs> kind of leaving it for Treasury to sort out. And this was a big piece of the new tax reform legislation that was passed at the very end of 2017. This is a big deduction for pass-through entities. Most of America's small businesses are run as pass-throughs. And since big corporations got a big tax break, moving their top rates from 35% down to 21, Congress knew they had to do something for the quote-unquote little guy of the pass-through companies. Uh, So this is what that was supposed to be. Yeah. So how does it work now? Because it was so strange that the smaller businesses didn't get to benefit, but that's changed? Uh, Yeah, so this 20% deduction is meant to take all of your pass-through income. So just like you'd mentioned in the beginning, Kathy, it's income from S-corporations, income from multi-member LLCs, income from Schedule C if you run a sole proprietorship or a single-member LLC, and rental portfolios, and give all of these people all that type of income before this new deduction. All that type of income used to be taxed at ordinary tax rates. And although it was derived from a business, it was being taxed at the highest individual tax rates. Again, since the corporations got a big cut, they realized they had to do something to kind of put all of this business income that's being taxed at higher than corporate rates kind of back on par with corporations. And so that's where this 20% deduction comes from. So if you have a pass-through company that makes $100,000 at the end of the year, uh, you're only going to pay tax on 80% of that 100K you know, assuming you meet all the qualifications and and some of the details that I think we're going to talk about here in the next few minutes. Amazing. So let's talk about those details. What do we have more clarity on now than we did last year? Sure. And and maybe I'll kind of start from a little bit from the beginning that if you as a married person make less than $315,000 taxable income, now that's a really important part. That's not gross income. That's not adjusted gross income. That's taxable income. So that's after all your itemized deductions, your standard deduction, all of those items. If if your taxable income is less than $315,000, then you're going to get this 20% deduction on any pass-through income, you know, full stop. We'll, you know, we'll just stop there. If you make more than $315,000 as a married person, then we start to kick in a bunch of different rules and limitations that we'll kind of go into more detail on. Okay, well, that uh, that is amazing. So, of course, that affects real estate investors because many real estate investors own property in an LLC, so they would see this additional tax benefit? Yeah, that's right. And, and that's especially for Real Wealth Network members, Kathy, that's where these rules were very, very helpful. 
Um, for tax nerds like me and others, there's always kind of been this question about, hey, is rental real estate really a trade or business? Because you have to be a trader business in order to qualify for this 20% deduction. Mm-hmm. So these rules provided uh, a couple of a couple of good guys and maybe one watch out for for real estate investors. And, and maybe I'll just keep going and explain what I mean by that. Yes, please. The, the, the first thing was is that the initial law allowed kind of at the last minute allowed for people even over 315. Uh, married couples over 315,000 of taxable income, it allowed them to rely on something other than wages in order to take advantage of of this 20% pass-through deduction. Uh, so one of the limitations was once you go above 315, if uh, your deduction is not 20% of the pass-through income, it's either 20% of the pass-through income or this other calculation which involved wages. The law right before it got passed said, if you go above 315, you get the either 20% of the pass-through income or a calculation that's based on wages or a calculation that's based on wages plus property. So that was a really important part for real estate investors that this little piece of this alternative calculation was thrown in because it allows you to rely on the purchase price of your properties as one of this alternate calculations for the 20%. Now, like I said, there's always kind of been this discussion, academic mostly, among tax nerds about whether or not is a real estate portfolio really a trader business, which is the requirement to take this 20% deduction. And thankfully, in conjunction with these new regulations, Kathy, the IRS and the Department of Treasury came out with a notice, a safe harbor. You know, tax people love safe harbors. It's you know where we can pull our boats in, out of the storm. There's no controversy. And they provide a safe harbor for real estate investors to be able to say, yes, I have a trader business. My real estate portfolio is available for this 20% deduction. Now, the safe harbor comes with some really puzzling pieces, but it's not anything that we can't overcome. And I'll get into the safe harbor in just a minute. Outside the safe harbor, you can still count your real estate portfolio as a trader business. You just have to understand that you have to meet these facts and circumstances, these court cases that are out there uh, about what a trader business really is. And again, this is really like nerdy, deep end accounting, you know, geek stuff, Mm. right? This is the stuff my wife tells me, don't even talk to me about this kind of things, (laughs) about these things with me, Ryan. Um, But I will just say this one thing outside the safe harbor, these new regulations, they threw in maybe almost casually one sentence that has people like me nervous. Uh, Outside the safe harbor for real estate investors, the IRS and these regulations said that if you have a trader business, you really should be thinking about, are you giving your service providers 1099s as a landlord? And that's something that, you know, Congress has kind of teased before in prior legislation about, hey, should we make landlords send 1099s to their property managers and to the people, the plumbers and stuff that come out and do work on their properties. And a lot of people have kind of pushed that to the side and said, you know, maybe maybe that's ultimately not necessary for small-time landlords. Um, but this little piece in the regulation outside the safe harbor really starts to suggest that real estate investors, uh, to establish the fact that they have a trader business outside the safe harbor, should maybe be sending 1099s 
mm-hmm. uh, to their property managers and and other folks who work on uh, on their portfolio. Wow. Okay. I, I think we might actually be doing that. To yay. Yeah. I mean, a, a lot of people do. A lot of our clients do. A lot of our clients are like, uh, "Oh, come on, Ryan. Come on. Do I really have to do that?" Um, you know, the, the penalties have always been small if you don't do it. Mm-hmm. So it's not, you know, I don't get super stressed out about people not doing it. However, now with these new regulations, I'm not worried about the $25 per form penalty that could theoretically be assessed. I'm more worried about the fact that, hey, do I, do I have a trade or business if I'm not doing my 1099s? And again, Kathy, this is all outside the safe harbor. And, and I think we're going to talk about the safe harbor in just a minute. but. Uh, yeah, that, that's one thing for people to keep in mind as we discuss the safe harbor and the, and the rules that are apply here. If that doesn't apply to you, you should really start thinking about, hey, should I be sending 1099s to my vendors? Well, then that is the perfect segue to what are these new safe harbor rules? Yes. Great, Kathy. So the, the safe harbor rules, again, this is a safe harbor for taxpayers to say, my real estate portfolio is a trader business. Uh, notwithstanding the fact that I may or may not do 1099s, notwithstanding all these nerdy, uh, you know, academics saying is real estate really a, a trader business? This safe harbor says if you meet these four criteria and don't slip into any of the limitations, then you have a trader business for purposes of this 20% deduction. Okay, the rules are. Uh, uh, let me let me do the easy ones first. There's four criteria. Uh, one is that you have separate books and records to reflect the income and expense of each rental real estate enterprise. This could be things like property manager statements. Uh, I feel this could be your Schedule E on your tax return. I think most people do this, and it's pretty straightforward and easy. Everyone wants to know if their properties are making money, and therefore everyone's pretty much keeping you know, some separate books and records on each one of their properties. Okay. Mm-hmm. The next big criteria is, and this is the one that no one's going to like, you have to be able to show, as described with contemporaneous records, including time reports and similar documents, that 250 hours or more of people's time is being spent on this rental portfolio. Okay. And that doesn't mean your time, it doesn't mean the investor's time. It just means that more than 250 hours are being performed, and this could be things like advertising for rent, negotiating leases, uh, verifying tenant applications, maintenance, uh, administration of the portfolio, uh, and supervision of others who may be doing this. And these services can be performed by the investor, uh, by their agents, such as property managers, and can be performed by independent contractors. Okay, I think most people are, this, this makes a lot of sense. It's probably something that's happening already. The safe harbor now requires that you can keep contemporaneous records of this. So this, this is going to be a challenge for a lot of people, I think, Kathy. And it's going to be a, a little bit different way that property managers are going to report. I, I think as more investors put pressure to meet these safe harbor requirements onto their property managers, I would suspect that we're going to start seeing property managers report not only, you know, hey, we fixed the toilet and got this unit rent ready, they're also going to have to start reporting, and we spent 6.5 hours on this. 
again, this is not going to be anything anybody likes, but to meet the strict wording of this safe harbor, you're going to have to be able to show that 250 hours was spent on the real estate enterprise. Of the whole portfolio or, or everything in that particular LLC? Everything in your portfolio, if it's single member LLCs, that the one thing, again, this is just, these are the nuances, right, that are really important that you seek out professional advice if these kind of things apply to you, is you can group together all of your residential real estate, but you cannot group that with any commercial real estate. Mm, okay. So Ooh. if you have commercial and residential, you have to separate those and 250 hours have to be applied to each portfolio in order to meet the safe harbor. Uh, a couple other limitations, Kathy, that might be of interest, no triple net leases. Oh. If you have a triple net lease, there is no 20% deduction for you. Um, that's just in the eyes of the IRS and the Treasury Department, that just does not raise the level of a trader business. So if you have a triple net lease, that gets backed out. And the other item I'll mention is, make sure I get this right here, Anything that you used even partially as a residence or as a second vacation home, meaning within the rules here, you spent more than 14 days in it. Anything that meets those two criteria for you personally is not going to get the 20% deduction. Sure. Yeah. Makes sense. Okay. Well. That was a lot, Kathy. Man, for, <laughs> for the investors that hung on that whole time. Congratulations. You know, they they want to hear more. Come I work know for it. Me. <laughs> <laughs> so did we go into detail about what qualifies as, as business income and how it can be you want to reduce that, right? Yeah, yeah. Generally you do want to reduce income um because that's gonna be subject to tax. What I think is interesting is now we're gonna start to see that the benefit of reducing that income, if it's qualified business income that's subject to this twenty percent deduction is there's less juice in planning around that type of income. If you're only having to pay tax on 80% and those tax rates are a little bit lower than they used to be, then you know the break-even between the tax benefits of doing a particular transaction or tax planning in a certain way is now lower, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's kind of the point I'll leave on that part. Okay. So what is a specified service business and why do we care? Yeah, so a specified service trade or business is a, is a term that's defined in the legislation and then we've got some enhancements in the law. Uh, so this is a type of business that produces pass-through income for which you will not be able to take a 20% deduction on when your taxable income goes above 315. Okay, so for many folks that make less than 315 of taxable income, the fact that you're a doctor, accountant, attorney, uh, broker, those types of things won't matter. You'll still get the full 20% deduction. Where we're going to trip into problems is for people who are uh, perform a specified service trade or business and their taxable income is more than 315. So Generally, the rule here for what a specified service trader business is, and there's a list of them, and, and some of them make sense, uh, accountants, attorneys, architects, things like that, where the personal reputation of the owner is a key factor in driving the business. Mm -hmm. and, and there's some kind of economic reasons why 
they decided to cut these people out of the 20% deduction. But for, again, for many people, if you have a construction business, while the reputation of the business is important, it's not necessarily the skill and reputation of the owner that's driving that business. And so that's where they're trying to get at. Okay. So let's say Kathy Fedke, Real Wealth Network. (laughs) How would that apply? Right. So there's what I would tell you is that you probably have a number of trader businesses within your company. Each trader business gets looked at separately. Uh, And if it's a trader business that involves uh, providing education to a large group of people, that's probably not a specified trader business, a specified service trade or business. Um, If it's the part of the business that earns commissions on brokering real estate sales, that part probably is a specified service trader business since it's tied to the broker's license. While the rules have come out and the legislation is out, I think there's going to be a lot of practitioner commentary and best practices that get built up uh, around these items. There were some, you know, some very specific carve-outs, engineers, for whatever reason. I, I think somebody in Congress has an uncle who's an engineer. Whatever, for whatever reason, engineers got carved out. Wow. And that is, engineers uh, make all the money you want, and you're not a specified service trader business. There's parts of the medical profession that we had originally thought everything would be a specified service trader business, which now there's parts of the medical profession. If it's not patient-facing, you can probably make an argument that it's not a specified service trader business under the new regulations. So people, for example, that work in the lab, if you own a laboratory that does you know, lab tests, that particular part of your business, if you can you know, show separate books and records, that could be treated separately from, you know, the phlebotomists who are patient facing and who are maybe, you know, drawing the blood for the lab tests. If you feel like you might be in a specified service trader business, reach out to your qualified tax professional. These are important rules. Some of the planning that we thought would be out there, you know, for example, the medical practice Part of the commentary around the law when the rules came out, the, the law was enacted was, all right, so the medical practice is just going to split into two. One is going to be the brand and marketing, and uh, the other is just going to be the doctor. And the doctor is going to pay the brand or marketing company all of his profits. Um, and then the brand company is going to not, they're going to say that they're not a specified trader business. Well, there's rules now that, that kind of prevent that and say that if you don't think you're a specified trader business, but you do enough business with a specified trader business that you also own, then you probably are also a specified service trader business. <laughs> um, so again, the, these are pretty, pretty complicated rules. Um, your situation, your member situation, uh, you know, just sit down, you know, roll out all the facts. There's going to be ways for lots of people to uh, take advantage of this, whether it's Again, if you're uh, if you think you're in a specified service trader business, but you don't make three fifteen of taxable income as a married couple, it doesn't matter. You're going to get the full twenty percent deduction anyway. It's only when you go above the three fifteen of taxable income that we even start to worry about this. And again, I'm just I'm just laying it on here. So, if somebody owns a rental portfolio, let me see. So let's say they've got income from their job, but then they've got business income from their real estate. Combined, 
Does it need to be under the 315000 or just what's coming out of the business? Does that make sense from the real estate business? It combined, but also we get to deduct their mortgage interest and the $10,000 of state taxes that's limited and any charitable deductions and the contributions to their HSA and their IRA, all that stuff gets to fall out before we say, hey, are we over or under the 315? And if you're under the 315,000 as a couple or individual or both? As, as a couple, uh, the individual number is exactly half that. Okay, so if you're under that, you get your 20% deduction on your real estate. That's right. And if you're over it, you we're not sure. You have to, that's where it gets complicated. Yeah, if, if you're over it, then we go to this alternative calculation, which is based on wages, which you probably pay none in your real estate portfolio, mm-hmm. plus a percentage of your purchase price of your portfolio when you aggregate them together. There's aggregation rules that I'm not going to get into, but <laughs> your tax professional knows about them. Where if, you know, if you had a you know, 100K of real estate income, the 20% deduction could allow you to deduct 20% of that or $20,000. Uh, but if you're over 315, it's not an automatic 20%. It's this other calculation that involves wages and then 2.5% of the purchase price of the properties. So if 2.5% of the purchase price is more than $20,000, then you're going to get the whole $20,000 deduction anyway. Wow. Okay. I, I don't know. I'm pro- probably making things spin here worse than, no, no, <laughs> worse it's, than, it's, than when they tuned in. It's good stuff. Okay, finally, um, if you have business losses, how would that affect? Yeah, so you get to earn out of business losses first. And, and for most people, Kathy, especially folks who are you know still acquiring properties, they're going to have losses from their real estate portfolio. Whether or not they're using them to offset wage income is you know, based on other factors, but those are because of accelerated depreciation and some other factors, you're probably not generating a ton of taxable income from your real estate portfolio that this 20% deduction can use. So you're exactly right. We're going to have losses first. And as we earn out of those losses and go into kind of a net positive taxable income position, uh, with respect to that business, that's when the 20% deduction can kick in. Wow. But let's say you have a, a, a real estate business that's the note business. You're a private lender. Is that too passive or does that count too? Uh, if you're like a dealer and you're generating ordinary business income from that note business, then typically yes. Otherwise, if you're just generating interest and capital gains perhaps from the sale of occasional notes or uh, talk to your tax professional about, you know, how that could be treated under these rules. I don't want to get into okay. all the all, all the <laughs> techniques behind that, but it could be, mm-hmm. and it might not be. Oh, that that was clear as mud. Thank you. Yeah, you bet. <laughs> and that's, that's why you'd almost think I was an attorney by with that answer, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> well, uh, if people would like to reach out and get more clarification, um, how do they how do they contact you? Email is a great way to get a hold of somebody in the office. We're always happy to chat with Real Wealth Network members. Kathy, your, your folks can set up a time free of charge. I'll, I'll talk to anybody oh, about anything you. that I know about. So uh, until we're a client, you probably can't rely on what we talk about, but at mm-hmm. least I can give you an idea of, of where you're headed. Uh, just in closing, Kathy, if you make less than 315, you're going to get this deduction. 
If you're more than 315, there's some caveats depending on the type of business you're in and if you pay wages or have property. And then with respect to this safe harbor, you know, start pushing property managers to record hours for you or think about having to file 1099s to kind of establish that you have a rental trader business. And I know those maybe aren't all good things, but where we started with this proposed part of the law, uh, it totally left real estate investors all the way out in the cold. So we've come a long way and there's you know, some good stuff here for folks that, that it can fit for. Oh, I love it. Thank you. Thank you. Good stuff. It was already good, good deductions and now even better. Yeah. And from the clients that we've processed already, um, you know, we've helped folks take, I don't know, we're, we're probably about a half a million dollars of this pass-through deduction, uh, you know, based on everyone's different facts and circumstances. So we're definitely seeing the impacts of the rules. These people are paying less tax than they were a year ago. Love it. Sorry to any liberals who don't like to hear that, but you know, we, <laughs> we like to pay less in tax <laughs> legally, legally. Yeah, All right, legally, Ryan. Of course. <laughs> thank, thank you, Kathy. And, and I know this is a complicated area of tax law. So uh, this probably isn't a do it yourself situation, whether it's us or someone else. Please, members, go get some help just to make sure you navigate this area in the right way. Perfect. All right, Ryan. Well, there's so much more to talk about, like opportunity zones, but we'll do that next time. That sounds great, Kathy. Anytime. All right. Good luck over the next month. You'll get through it. Yeah, thank you. It'll yes, be April 15th will. before you know it. <laughs> uh, don't say that, but <laughs> we'll get through it. Okay. All thanks, right. Kathy. Take care. And thank you for joining me here on The Real Well Show. We have a whole lot of webinars posted on our website with Ryan and other CPAs and attorneys and lots of information that will save you money when speaking with your advisors. So check that out at realwealthshow.com. Have a wonderful rest of your week and happy tax season. <laughs> Bye-bye.